Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God which we receive into our hearts this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 30. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have done, heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. The prophet Isaiah, as well as the Gospel of Luke and Jesus himself, proclaims that he was anointed to El Angelizo, to proclaim the good tidings, to preach the Gospel. That's the purpose of for which Jesus came. And in our gospel, Luke presents it as the first of Jesus' sermons. It's not actually. We know he, he, he was preaching in Galilee. But in the gospel of Luke, it's the first one he presents after his temptation and baptism to remind us, to set before us the, the purpose and goal of Jesus' ministry. But what is this good news? What is this gospel which Jesus came to proclaim. Luke explains that for us as well in this account, doesn't he? The people, the crowd there in Nazareth, reject Jesus. In fact, they try to kill him. They reject him, however, not because he claimed to be the Messiah. Notice that when Jesus read from the book of Isaiah and said, this is fulfilled in your hearing, that's not at that point that they grow angry. They're astounded, they're confused, maybe even a little bit, and wondering, but they don't become angry until a little bit later. 
when Jesus tells them, I'm not going to do miracles for you. Jesus understands what the people want. Jesus understands that they're expecting a show. Oh, we've heard about the miracles you've done other places. Do them here for us as well. And Jesus says, that's not why I came. I'm not a carnival to entertain you. I'm here to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is not miracles, is it? In our, <clears throat> in our weekly devotions with the kids uh, over the last few months, we've been going through and talking about the prophet Elijah. And this was a lesson that God taught to the prophet Elijah as well. We read in 1 Kings 19, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. The gospel, the Lord, did not come in the fire or the wind or the earthquake, but in that still, small voice, that proclamation of the good news of the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit through that word to create faith and to strengthen us in the same. The gospel is not the miracles, but the proclamation of a Savior who died for us and for our sins. The people of Nazareth don't actually say it, but Jesus knows that they're going to say it. He beats them to it, right? You're going to say to me, physician, heal yourself. These words are a demand upon Jesus to prove himself to them on their level. We're going to decide what the Messiah should or should not be. You want us to follow you, you give to us what we want. Miracles and, and a show. Physician, heal thyself. Prove yourself to us on our basis. And Jesus is quite clear, that's not what I came here to do. We do not judge God, do we? God judges us and has proclaimed us forgiven through Jesus Christ. Jesus is quite clear here. You can accept the, the wonderful news of the freedom I have come to give you, or you can accept nothing. The gospel is not miracles, but that proclamation of joy in the Lord. Nor is the gospel a long, pleasant, successful life on this earth, is it? The fact that Jesus came to suffer is shown right here from the beginning of Luke's gospel. Again, this is the, the beginning of Christ's ministry in the, in, the book of God, in the book of Luke, and he shows us from the beginning that Jesus is not super popular, but the crowds reject him and even try to kill him. That's a foreshadowing, of course, of the greater part of Israel, which will crucify him. There are too many who think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a means to bring justice or success on this earth, in this life. In fact, I just ran across an article this last week 
from Martin Luther King Jr. when he was younger and in seminary talking about how the resurrection of Jesus is an example to us how we also can rise up against oppression. Now, it's, it's a good thing to try to fight for justice. There's no doubt about that. And it would be good if <clears throat> we had good justice on this earth. But that's not why Jesus came, is it? And that's not the point of his resurrection. It's not an example to us to rise up against oppression. But it's the proclamation that Jesus defeated death and sin in our place, and we too will go to heaven. The gospel is not a successful life on this earth, but peace with God. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells us, Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. There will be suffering on this earth, but we have hope in the life to come. The gospel is not these things, but Luke shows us very clearly what it is in verses 18 and 19 of our text. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The gospel is the healing of the brokenhearted. When Luke talks about the brokenhearted here, or he's quoting from Isaiah, so Luke or Isaiah, whichever one you want to refer to, he's not talking about a, a teenager who uh, their boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with them, right, and they're brokenhearted. The word here actually means crushed. Not just broken, but totally destroyed. Jesus is speaking here about those who have given up, who feel like there's, there's no hope left, those whom this world has utterly crushed, perhaps because they've been unjustly treated over and over again, perhaps because as hard as they try, they, they can't seem to get their life in order or get their life together, perhaps because they've lived in loneliness for so long, that they have no hope left. Those whose hearts are crushed between beneath the weight of their own sin and their own loneliness and their own hopelessness. To them, God, Jesus comes to proclaim the hope of the gospel. As we read in Psalm 46, verse 5, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. That's what Psalm 46 is talking about there, just at the break of dawn when the night is long and weary and has crushed you beneath its darkness and cold. God shall come with his deliverance. Or Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. The gospel proclaims hope to those who are crushed. Not the hope of a better life here, but the sure and certain promise 
Number one, that God is with you in that darkness. And number two, that he will deliver you from this life into the eternal joy of his holy habitation. The gospel is the healing of the brokenhearted. It is liberty to the captives, right? We often talk about addiction with regard to certain prominent sins, right? We think of addiction with regard to alcohol, drugs, gambling, those that are more obvious. But the truth is that all sin is addiction. We take one step on the wrong path, we give in to temptation once, and it becomes easier the next time. And pretty soon, it's a part of our life that we can't seem to get rid of. A part of our life that has chained us down. Paul talks about this when he's writing to Titus in chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. For we ourselves are also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, slaves to our lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hate and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. The gospel is that proclamation that breaks that chain of addiction, that slavery to sin, and sets us free through the proclamation of forgiveness for all that we have done. It is God's word and God's sacraments alone which can give us that forgiveness and teach us how to live again to Christ. The gospel is the proclamation of the acceptable year of our Lord. This, of course, is a reference to that Old Testament festival, the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, the children of Israel were supposed to celebrate the year of Jubilee. And during that year, they were supposed to let the land lay fallow, not work it or farm it. But also, all slaves were set free, all debt was forgiven, and all the land was to be given back to the hereditary heirs, those who had received it when Israel first conquered the land of Israel and God gave it to them. When Jesus here announces that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord, he's not talking about a limited one-year festival. But he is telling us that the eternal year of Jubilee is now ours. That we live in that year of freedom. That all debt is canceled forever. It's not a one-year thing for us, but our whole life. The pastor, uh, Arthur A. Just Jr., wrote concerning this verse, this message of release unites the Old Testament and the New Testament. It reveals to the hearer how his baptism initiates him into a life of continual release sustained in the Lord's Supper. 
Baptism initiates, brings us into that year of the Lord's Jubilee so that we live in that forgiveness of sins. And the Lord's Supper, which we receive with joy every month, is not a giving of something that we lack or that we did not have before, but is a strengthening, a renewing of us so that we remain within that year of Jubilee, constantly being forgiven and living within Christ's forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 6.2 At the acceptable time I have listened to you, and on the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Right now we live within that year of the Lord's Jubilee. We have received it through that proclamation of the gospel. We have received that healing for the brokenhearted and that liberty to the captives. Jesus understands full well that what the people of Nazareth want is a show, entertainment. But that is not what the gospel is, nor is it why Jesus came. Jesus came to fix the problem of our sin and to usher us in to that year of jubilee in him. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.